Ah, let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, thank you for this moment in time to cherish, to be here, to be grateful for all that you've given us. Thank you for this place of worship. Thank you for the members. Thank you for the spiritual gifts that keep it afloat. Thank you for reminding us of your mercy, your grace, your love, Father. Where would we be without these things? We pray for those in the congregation that aren't here with us this morning, that they know that we're with them in spirit, and we pray for their return and your good timing. Father, we pray for those still in this world that are lost without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Part 65, Proverbs 17, Wisdom. I almost renamed this morning's message because, as you'll see, there's a huge bent on something other than uh, Proverbs 17, strictly speaking. Uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I apologize. Uh, this week's blog actually went out on Thursday morning by accident. I was trying to get it out uh, yesterday, but uh, long story short, I was trying to give uh, Monica's new ministry some hype so that uh, she might get some more you know, subscribers and stuff like that. And anyways, it ended up taking out. So hopefully you got to see it up here on the board. Getting out of, the, out of bed in the morning, fantastic uh, blog. I've gotten a lot of feedback on it like really heartfelt feedback that it was very timely. It was funny because DJ said, I'm kind of glad it went out on Thursday because I really needed it on Thursday, right? And it's kind of like, well, God must have done that, especially for you then, apparently. Um, and he does those kinds of things, and it's beautiful. Getting out of bed in the morning, um, read it if you haven't. It's, uh, it's worth the read. And if you're... Um, you know, if you have trouble focusing like some folks do, I am recording them audio now so you can listen to the audio and just sit back and relax and listen to my amazingly soothing voice. <laughs> Anyways, on Thursday, the Spirit gave us all a friendly reminder that spiritual gifts are meant to edify the church. like the one that's functioning before you right now. It's a special time. It really is, and it has nothing to do with Ed Collins. I don't think that highly of myself, to be totally honest. It's about this gift, this gift functioning for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? That's why I asked that question. Are you glad to be here? Because this is a special time. Um... And they're not always given. You know, um, spiritual gifts are just that. They are gifts. Gifts. 
and gifts from above being perfect and good, a la James 1.17, ought to be cherished for as long as God ordains them. This is a gift. Look, we've got sun shining through. We've got people that care about the Lord. You've got a spiritual gift functioning on your behalf. You've got other spiritual gifts functioning right now to keep the, the lights on. Don was here early fixing a lighter. Was it a light or a camera or something? He's up on a ladder. I'm like, oh, my God. You know. You know. So, But he's here before anybody else after me fixing lights. DJ's here doing AV stuff, turning heat on, probably before anybody else, turning the heat on, making sure everything's good. There's a lot of spiritual gifts. The, the um, ladies come during the week, and they clean up. And they make sure, and uh, I see Kathy after every service stay, sticks behind and cleans all the desks down for COVID protocol. You guys don't see all that stuff, but here we are. Do you know what I'm getting at? Like, a lot goes into these things, and we just, it's just people functioning in spiritual gifts. And for as long as God ordains them, you should cherish the coming together like this. It's not a given. Up here on the board, Ecclesiastes 3.2. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. So the Spirit wanted me to remind all of you this morning that God's gifts aren't necessarily permanent. They're not. There's nowhere in Holy Scripture that says a spiritual gift is permanent. In a certain way, even. I could die tomorrow, and presumably he'd raise someone else up, or he'd lead you to another place, or I don't know. That would be between you and the Lord, but it's true. I could die tomorrow. The church could burn down tomorrow. You could become ill and be bedridden tomorrow. All kinds of events could happen that remove this precious gift from you. So, we must always be grateful to God for His grace and mercy. So, we're going to see a practical lesson on this in the Bible. Just to help drive this point home, we're going to read from... Don't go there yet. We're going to read from the book of Jonah. We're going to pick up at that point when God relents regarding his wrath against Nineveh as a result of Jonah's preaching, even. And for context's sake, remember that Jonah did not like the Ninevites. I mean, for good reason, because they were his enemy, being they were like a warrior-type group, and they were... Ruthless against Israel. So Nineveh, you know, Nineveh and Israel. Mm-mm. And Jonah was in Israel, and God's saying, I want you to go to your enemy, preach this message of deliverance so that they might be saved, so that I don't destroy them. And he's like, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> kind of nice if you destroyed them so we wouldn't have to, type thing, you know. And, but he ended up doing it. Um, And if we look at the the message in that context, 
It was a perfect test of godliness and integrity. You have to ask yourself that. If you were Jonah, you know, would you have done it with full integrity? Or would you have been like, oops, oops, forgot to mention that part. Have fun in hell. Oops, you're my enemy. Forgot to mention the gospel. You follow what I'm getting at? People do those kinds of things. Oh, 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 don't, don't. Oh, look at that. You fell in a hole. Oh, don't, 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 don't stop, don't stop. But if it was your kid, you'd be like, stop! Right? Where's the integrity? Where's the love? Should it matter? Are you that ridiculous where you want anyone to be hurt? Apparently so. That's the point. And so Jonah is a perfect illustration of this point. Uh, this is something Jesus taught his disciples about as well. Up here on the board, Matthew 5, 43 to 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those are the words of our Lord. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jonah's faith was put to the test for sure, given the circumstances and the context of the situation. Okay, go to Jonah 3.10. Jonah 3.10. I'll give you a moment. Sometimes that one's hard to find. Jonah 3, verse 10. So that's the context. Jonah was asked to preach to the Ninevites, his, his enemies, and he knew God, and he knew there was a possibility that God would relent because that's who God is. God was being patient. Jonah 3.10. All right. You guys there? It's taking you a long time. You know, there is a table of contents in most Bibles. I mean, don't be so arrogant. Just go to it, find the page, and then go. I can't do that. And I can't put it in the thumb tabs because it makes me look dumb. Look at, all right, here's your pastor. You see him? Can you see him? I gladly use them. Because not, not I'm not a proud jerk. Anyways, happy Sunday, happy Sunday. Jonah 3.10. So we pick up, when God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, this is where Jonah gets all tangled, right? He's failing. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He was angry that God wasn't going to destroy people. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that is, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Remember, he tried to run away from his responsibility, the whole fish, you know. For I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I knew if I went and I did it, 
This was going to happen. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me. Okay, here comes the drama. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Good question for all of us, isn't it? Next time we get angry about anything, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could, or till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God taught Jonah a good lesson on his grace and mercy, that its expression isn't necessarily permanent, so enjoy it while you've got it. That's right, I gave you that shade for a while, and then I took it away. That's my doing. That's my sovereign right to do as I will. Do you see the point? You should learn this lesson. I can give, I can take away, I can do whatever I want, because it's my world. I'm the sovereign, holy God of the universe. Remember that. If I want to bless out your enemies, if I want to be patient with them, spend a little extra time with them, like I did with you, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. If I want to rip the rug out from underneath of anyone at any time, that's exactly what I'm going to do. End of story. So, again, one of the underlying lessons here is that, you know, God's grace and mercy, the expression of these things, the blessings, they're not necessarily permanent. So enjoy blessings when you have it. That's why I asked you, is everybody glad to be here this morning? Know that he may, for his own good purposes, choose to remove a blessing from your life at any point in time. And for you all, that includes this pastor or this church even, to keep context. And just so you know, this is not, I'm not prophesying about either of these things happening. I'm not, he hasn't called me away. I'm not sick, you know. Church is fine. That's not. He's just making a point. He's just making a point. The point is that we must be grateful for the blessings we have today, because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. Jonah four nine. But God said to Jonah, "Do you do well to be angry for the plant?" And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. This guy is a drama queen. Right? Come on, Jonah. Geez, suck it up. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You want me to, in other words, you want me to destroy these people because they're your enemies, but yet they live in ignorance. I want to let them know who I am. I want, them to, I want to give them a chance, just like I gave you a chance, Jonah. Up here on the board, gratitude. We must be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. That's really good perspective. Really good perspective. We must be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. And God wants you to know this. And this applies to everything. Not just the gift of having a faithful pastor or a beautiful church. Think about it. This applies to absolutely everything. For example, members of your family. I'm thinking of the... Uh, the Piva boys right now, Nate, Noah, Chad, they just lost their mom. That's a tough one. I'm thinking of Betty, who just lost her husband, Frank, and her kids, Julie and Jim, and Art and Jane, who lost a best friend. I'm thinking of people who have lost their jobs and therefore their homes because of the pandemic. Or people whose spouse went off the deep end because of this pandemic and are now, are, who knows, raging alcoholics or worse. Or even the little first graders in Tammy's elementary school class whose introduction to proper full-time school has been annihilated by this pandemic. You know, there are so many things we ought to be grateful for. Like, you know, in the now. There are so many things to be grateful for in the now. Up here on the board. We must be grateful for the blessings we have today because there's no guarantee they will remain forever. None. Remember Job, the Lord give, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shouldn't that be enough to get us out of bed in the morning, as per the blog? Shouldn't it be? I think so. Furthermore, this spiritual gift in this church stands for much, much more than just your Sunday morning feeding time. Is it nice to be fed? Sometimes, I'm not going to lie, I'm jealous. Like, literally, jealous. Like, man, it would be nice to walk into church, plop myself down, you know, of course, as far back as possible. <laughs> right? But you know how that is, all the back seats are taken. Monica even resides on a couch now. 
which used to be for pleasure, but now it became a seat, right? So, like, you know, whatever. I'm jealous, like, just to come in, like, be like, nom, nom, nom. No, it's more like this. Let the boat, let it in the airplane in the mouth. No. Right? And you like, get the little baby bibs on and be like, I don't want this. Right? And I'm like, come on, come on, you can do it. <laughs> like, it's, it's, what a blessing to be fed. And it's not like these meals are like, you know, a McDonald's fry that I got off the car floor. Do you know what I'm getting at? These are meals. This is you know, like steak, potato, broccoli, if you like broccoli, whatever your choice is. Corn on the cob, I don't know. You know what I'm getting at? Dessert, creme brulee, something good, something, mmm. That's what these are. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee at all that this will continue. Even one more day. Not one guarantee. I'm not going to make it. So it really should be enough to get us out of bed in the morning. Again, it's not just about your Sunday morning feeding time as a sheep. Please do me a favor and consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. I hope you heard what I just said. Let me say it again up here on the board. Please consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. I'm one man with a spiritual gift. And I'm functioning as faithfully as I know how. But my job is to equip you. But not just for your own purposes or as a blessing just for you. Those things are there. But the fruit of this ministry is meant to continue through you. This isn't just about you coming here, getting filled up, and then going back home onto the couch. This is supposed to be equipping you for the work of service. Because everyone in here, young or old, has a ministry. Everyone. Do you remember all the good labor the Spirit put into us on the topic of grace? In particular, how God's grace works? As a refresher, here's the gist of it. Grace works best when it flows through you. You're not, in other words, you're not the, you're not the stockpiler. You're not um, where the buck stops. That's just the beginning. This is how grace flows, right? It comes out of the Holy Bible with the spirits up. It ends up in this vessel. Then it goes to you. And then you take it in the context of your own life and you disseminate it out somehow. And that's the beauty of grace. And so on and so forth. Remember the grist mill example? Remember what a grist mill has got that big wheel and the water flows over it and then there's a little mechanical mechanism and it turns the, the grinding stone, right? And they threw corn in there and stuff like that. They would make cornmeal back in the day. Um, that's a great analogy because the water turns the wheel which makes some really good things happen on the inside but the water keeps on going 
that just passes by, imparts a little energy to us. Something happens in us, but we don't dam the water. Do you understand? We let it flow right by. Let it do its good work in us, but grace has to keep on going, my friends. It has to keep on going, which means it doesn't stop here. It's the same thing here in this church. You all have been called to this ministry that is led by this pastor with this spiritual gift. But you cannot be selfish about it. You cannot be selfish about it. All of this grace that you've received over the years is meant to, throw, to flow through you into the laps of others. Into the laps of others. That's how grace works. Again, up here on the board, please consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. Let's look at some Holy Scripture that really makes this obvious. Go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. <clears throat> Ephesians 4:11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers verse 12 to equip the saints. That's it. That's it. That's the end. is there a period there? Nope. For the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'll tell you what, I can, I can pretty much guarantee you this. If everybody just damned up the grace, there would be no spread of love because grace is the very expression of love. So if everybody in here just stood as islands, I'm just going to go to church, hog whatever I can get for myself, go back home, not share a darn thing. In other words, I'm just going to damn up all that grace for me. Where's the love? Where's the love in that? If grace doesn't flow freely through us, where is the love? How do people even see Christ? How do people see the Lord? If, if the grace never flows through you, if grace is the very expression of love, you can do this all you want, can't you? Right? Huh? Everybody loves, says, I love you. I love you. Right? Love you. Anybody do that anymore? Probably not. <laughs> People love it. Might as well, though. It's just as insulting. Right? To say you love someone and then literally 
never express it in any way, shape, or form other than with your gums flapping. I mean, actually stand up for them. Actually, I don't know, protect them, uh, love them fiercely, uh, lay down your life for them because that's what true love looks like. Defend them, defend their honor. Help them when they need you. Pick them up when they're down. Make a stinking phone call once in a while. How you doing? Whoa! Whoa! Hold your horses. That would be opening up for a conversation. That would look like I actually care. You mean like you actually love them? Like you, like they would actually f- know that you love them? Like they would actually see it finally instead of just, you know, hearing about it? You mean like that? Yeah. I mean, if grace doesn't flow, how does anybody know? Fair question. We are all ministers, you see. Not just the man behind the pulpit. If you come to church and, or listen to the messages or, you know, read the blogs, and you do so for selfish reasons only, you know, like, I'm just going to get mine and that's that. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you're missing the whole point. We just read it clearly stated in Holy Scripture, right? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints. Was there a period? No. For the work of ministry. Well, you're a saint. If you're a believer, you're a saint. So, I guess you've got a ministry. I guess I'm not the only one. By the grace and mercy of God, you are being equipped for the work of ministry. In other words, you have work to do. You have your own ministry. You have your own, quote, virtual pulpit. In other words, you have real purpose. And it's not just to receive. That's not why you're here. You're not here just to receive. You're being equipped for a purpose. Or maybe it's better to say that, you know, God has a real purpose for giving you spiritual gifts like this one that's functioning in front of you now. Right? Don't make that mistake of just saying, well, as for as long as that bald guy's around, I guess I'll listen to him because I get stuff. I get my fill. You're missing the whole point. I'm just a conduit. My ministry is just, you know, you could call it specialized. He gave me a certain gift. I can speak and teach um, by his grace and mercy. Not many wise, right? Not many noble who are called anyways. But that's his gift to you. So I have a specialized ministry. But you could argue, and I would argue for you, that you have a specialized ministry because you have a special context called your life. Nobody in here has the same shoes to fill. Amen? So you have a special ministry. Some of you, know, like the young girls here, there, and uh, Chris is what, Christian? They're in school. They're still in school. I'm glad it's not me. In today's world, it's really tough. Is that fair? Yeah, look, they're all... New way, yeah. 
Try, you try being a Christian in school. Right? Tammy has kids, I should, well, I can say this. Tammy has children that have never heard, don't even know who Jesus is. What? Don't even, don't know who Jesus is. Yeah, it's really hard out there right now. So they have their own ministry, right? Some of you older folks, you have your own ministry. You know, when you do the, the, the you know, 6 a.m. shuffle at the wall, Right? And the greed is there. Oh, hey! You're like, hey! Right? <laughs> you know, that's your ministry. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even walk like that. So I don't know what it's like to be that old yet. I'm fighting it. Please consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. And when I say vital, I mean vital. This ministry exists so that you can go do that thing. You don't know. You don't know. You might, you know, have one of those moments. You both reach for the vitamins. Oh, I'm being funny. Right? Everybody's like, what? Okay, now it just got awkward. You know. And you have a, a personal moment where you can actually strike a conversation up. Who knows? Who knows what kind of seed you planted? For Jesus in aisle A17. Please consider yourself a vital extension of this ministry. Now, with that said, I want to review that beautiful opening passage we read last time that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And as we do, remember why we read it on Thursday evening. It was to catch a glimpse of Paul's heart. A shepherd's heart. Like, why? Why? Like, it's, and it's the same as my own when I'm functioning, you know, with integrity to this office. I do fail, obviously. I have my moments where my head's not right. But I can certainly relate to Paul here. Um, and so Paul's heart, a shepherd's heart, is on view uh, towards the sheep God has ordained or did ordain for his leadership. Go to Philippians 1.1. Philippians 1.1. And it's important that you remember these things. Not, and I repeat, not to elevate the office of pastor. That is very dangerous, right? This is just a spiritual gift. It functions in a specialized way. If you know anything about the Bible, it says, uh, what is it, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, right, where we talk about spiritual gifts. It says you should work to give honor to the less public offices, the lesser ones, the guts, if you get into it. The gut, who the heck wants to, you know, when you think about the human body, you don't think of your bowels as like being lifted up, right? It's like, oh, look at, how, look at how handsome he is. I know, I'm used to it. Look at how handsome he is. Look, you know, look at how beautiful her hair is. Look at that. And then it's like, well, what do you think of her bowels? Ooh. Right? But without bowels, you die. You can be ugly and live. You can't have no bowels. You can't have ugly bowels and live. You die. I think these end up being more important. You understand what I'm getting at? So don't be doing this weird thing. It's not about elevating that person. 
that stands with any integrity behind a pulpit. It's, all right, so it's about understanding the heart and the purpose of the spiritual gift. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayers, prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What, I, look, it's still up there. You see? Let me read that again. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Please consider yourself as a vital extension of this ministry. Is that not the same thing? It literally is the same thing. Just stated probably more elegantly in Paul's case. But it's literally the same. Do you see? He didn't say, consider me a demigod and everybody bow down before me and just follow me. Matter of fact, he fought that. Oh, God, here we go. Oh, I'm from Apollos. Oh, I'm from Paul. I don't want any of that, says the good shepherd. Right? You ever get in front of somebody that's like that? You run. Seriously. I've been there. Run away. Whoop. Run. As fast as you can get away. Run, Forrest. Right? Because that person is not interested in building you up. They're interested in building themselves up. That person's not interested in you being a vital part of that ministry. They're interested in you serving them. You follow? They could care less about you. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, as I've been alluding to for years now, that is very much the crux of the New Testament epistles uh, writers even defending or confirming the gospel, all in context. Verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more uh, with knowledge and all discernment. In other words, there's a goal here. This is what I want. I want you to partake in this ministry with me. I want this grace to flow through me, through you, out to the world. So the Great Commission, even, is in view. I want you to fall in love as, as that water goes by the gristmill, right? As it's churning on the inside, you're growing, you're blooming. Things are happening in, in you as well. That's what I want. I want love to abound in you. Because that's the beauty of letting grace flow through us. Right? Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Remember peace from Hebrews 12, 11, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Oh, man. The fruit of being right, of being oriented to God, of being and partaking in whatever his plan is for your life, that fruit, all of it, peace, contentment, uh, you know, tenacity, 
uh, resiliency, you name it. You know, all that stuff. Understanding you're a co-victor with Christ right now. Understanding the privileges you have. Abba, Father, thank you for making me a child of your family. All that stuff, that's the fruit of righteousness. It's contagious, you see. It's contagious. And as a result, your personal ministry will flourish. Because people are going to say, I want, I want what they have. I want that. How are they so confident during this craziness called the pandemic? How are they not flipping out? Why are they not, like the rest of the world, falling apart at the seams? How is that possible, Christ? Christ-righteousness, not self-righteousness that was easily cracked and smashed and shattered as soon as the, uh, you know, the apple cart was turned over. All that, that's why they survived it. That's why they are who they are. That's contagious. That's what he's saying. I want you filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul's heart in that passage reveals what a good shepherd's heart looks like. You know, where his motivation lies. What his good intentions are for the sheep. And how selfless, how selfless the job actually is. It's a selfless job. If it was a selfish job, I would have quit a long time ago. Honestly, if I was a selfish... There's two options. You ready? I'm going to be very transparent with you. There's two options. You can either quit. In other words, if, if, I wanted, if I wanted this to be about me, let's say, I would either quit and walk away and find something that fed that part of me, that selfishness, or I would enslave you. I would make it about me. I would tell you, elevate me. It's about Ed Collins. Elevate me. Make me a little demigod. You understand what I'm saying? Those are my two options. I either walk away or I pervert and become a destructive force in all of your lives. Some of you have been through that. I know it. Right? But those are the two options for a selfish jackass of a shepherd. Or you can actually be the way that God called you to be selfless. What does that mean? It means you do a whole lot of work, hours upon hours upon hours, shed tears, pray for people, and you get nothing in return sometimes. Nothing. Does that make sense? I mean zippo. And I'm going to say this. I, I don't care, so don't, I don't want to be getting a bunch of emails. I'm just explaining the, the, the nature of this job. When's the last time any of you have reached out to me personally to encourage me? Why is it so quiet? When's the last time you picked up your cell phone? You know the one that you're on all day long? Texting to your friends and your whatever? When's the last time you reached out and said, thank you? Two words. If you're getting crazy, you put an exclamation on the end. Thank you for doing that for me. Thank you. When's the last time? It's a selfless job. If I expected that from you, then I would quit. Or I'd say, I'm just going to turn them around so they do send me emails. Because I, I, you know, I need it. I'm an insecure little boy. I need the congregation to fill my cup. 
daily. Because my mind's not. You getting what I'm getting at, folks? And please don't take that the wrong. Now everybody's like, oh, God. It's looking right at me. It's looking right at me. <laughs> the people listening at home right now, I'm so glad I stayed home today. <laughs> it's not about that. I'm trying to tell you that it, I don't need that from you. Is it nice? Sure, it's nice. Is it encouraging? You bet it is. But I don't need it. And Paul didn't need it. Paul kept going when everybody left him. He wrote a book. Then look, where is everybody? <laughs> right? I literally brought the gospel to the Gentile nations. Built up numerous churches. They tried to kill me. Right? You would think somebody would be there. Dude, how you doing? Hey, here's a, here's a rice cake. I don't know. Right, here's something. Right, here's a blanket. Probably gets cold there in prison. No one was around. And what was he doing? He's still going at it. Still, going, still writing to the churches. You understand what I'm saying? And then he died. And there was no more Paul. And that ministry was gone. Do you understand what I'm getting at? That could be me tomorrow. God could say, all right, you taught your last message. Sayonara. I'm pulling you out. You get to come home and hang out with Jesus. Woohoo! You follow what I'm getting at? None of it is guaranteed. You have to, you have to want, you have to, oh, what's the right word? Cling to it when you got it. Be grateful for it. Of course, our perfect example is found in Jesus Christ up here on the board. John 10, verse 11. I am the. And the is in the Greek. It's a definite article. And it sets him apart as unique, meaning he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Because a good shepherd cares about his sheep. That's what makes a good shepherd, right? You fulfill the whole law through love. Well, you don't love the sheep, maybe you should go reconsider what you think you're called to do uh, in ministry. <laughs> you don't have a love for the sheep. He feeds them and he protects them. He remains vigilant over them for as long as they remain members of his fold. So I think the Spirit's basically saying you need to not only respect and appreciate this, and possibly be motivated, motivated by it even. But you also need to, ready? Here's the key. It's not about all that other stuff. I swear to you, here's the key. Take advantage of it while you have it. Take advantage of it while you have it. Because nothing is guaranteed. We, were, we read that in Solomon. We read it all over the Bible. Nothing is guaranteed. You have to take advantage of it while you have it. Right? And so, just changing gears a little bit, over the past few messages, there's been an emphasis on back to basics, even. What about, what's the, what's the gem, what's the centerpiece of your life? It's the gospel. That's all I'm here to do, is to preach the gospel, to train you up. 
to let you see it, to get to that point. When you read your Bible, you see the gospel in every page. That is my, that is my hope for you. That you, no matter where you are in this beautiful book, you see the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Old Testament, New Testament, does not matter. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. And so I love it when we go back to basics because it takes us right back to the purpose and the, the motivation for all of this. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the crux of our recent messages up here on the board. The simplicity of salvation. Not only is the gospel easy to understand and digest, it is also tied to a command to believe it by the one with the exclusive rights on salvation, its intended result. And while we make up our minds, we have the incredible blessing of God's patience up here on the board. 2 Peter 3, 9 in the Amplified, the Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act and is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Of particular interest is where we closed on Thursday up here on the board, Joel 2.13 in the Amplified, rip your heart to pieces in sorrow and contrition, not your garments. Now return in repentance to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness, faithful to his covenant with his people, and he relents his sentence of evil when his people genuinely repent. So he's waiting patiently. And that goes for positional sanctification towards unbelievers and experiential sanctification or deliverance or being saved daily for believers. He waits patiently for us. Thank God. Amen? So that was that last verse that really pulls in a lot of our good labor on repentance. Um, also, uh, whenever we consider you know, things like disobedience. And so in the past few weeks we've been talking about going back to the basics that the gospel is actually a command. And when you disobey God's command, um, you need to repent. Otherwise, his justice says he's right in disciplining you. And that, of course, is hyper, hyper uh, amplified when it comes to the gospel command. Where we hear in the Bible about the sons of disobedience, which are rejecting the command to believe. God favors a contrite heart. Go to Psalm 51.17. Psalm 51.17 So back to the basics. This is why we're here. We want to know the gospel and every manifestation of it in the context of our own lives, even as believers. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart. 
O God, you will not despise. How about Isaiah 57, 15? Right around the corner. Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. Reads, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high place and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He's going to encourage you if you have a contrite, repentant type heart. He's not going to encourage arrogance. In other words, the absence of repentance. But as we know, as we've been, or the Spirit's been pointing out lately, contrition is often a slow road. So, thanks be to God for his patience. Contrition is often a slow road. So thanks be to God for his patience. Again, all of this is to amplify the basic principle that the gospel is a command that carries with it implications like any command, only in the most severe way. Only in the most severe way. So what's our conclusion? And this again goes back to what I've been teaching all morning, really. It's imperative that we get the gospel right first. You've got to get the gospel right first. If you want to understand the Bible, if that thing that I hope for you so dearly, where you just open up your Bible anywhere and you read it and you understand it against the gospel, you've got to have the gospel right for this thing to open up for you, for this book to truly open up to you. You've got to get the gospel right. And then you learn the context of each book in the Bible so that you can understand what the author's intentions actually were. Whether he was defending or confirming the gospel, for example. Or a little of both. So you get the gospel right. That becomes your starting point. Then you read the Bible. You read each book in context. Each scene, even, in context. And you understand, what's really going on? Well, this writer is either defending or confirming that thing, that gospel. When you don't have the gospel right, it's really hard, right? It's really hard to figure out what's the writer actually saying. And that's where perversions come in, including extreme perversions like cults. And for the record, the gospel has never budged, and I think I'm going to end here, but not even once. The gospel has never budged. It's never moved. It's never changed. I get so indignant when I think about people who teach that there are, were or are multiple Gospels. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There aren't multiple Gospels. There's always been one Gospel. That's it. It's not multiple Gospels. <clears throat> they propose that there were, you know, for example, a different Gospel for, say, the Jews and a different one for the Greeks. Or one for, you know, 
mainstream people and another for those in the deepest parts of the jungle. As if there's a different gospel. This is another, I don't know, metric for good news about salvation other than Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Don't fall into that trap because that will confuse the heck out of you. Cling to that one singular truth called the gospel. First Corinthians twelve thirteen. First Corinthians twelve thirteen, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. One gospel. One salvation. Go to Galatians 3.28. No distinction, in other words, between Jew or Greek, Gentile. There's not multiple Gospels. Galatians 3.28. I've heard people say that Jesus taught a Gospel and Paul taught a Gospel. I'm like, you are on crack. For real. Like, what are you saying? Paul was literally taught by Jesus. Personally, he's not going to tell him to go teach something that's going to confuse the world about himself. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11, go there. Colossians 3.11, I think I'll end right here. Good, good spot. Good high note. Nothing more to say. As always, the Bible says it best. Colossians 3, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this reminder this morning of truth that sets us free. Thank you for reminding us to be grateful. Thank you for giving us your grace, your mercy, and your love. Reminding of those, us of those things always, Father. We're just so grateful for this morning. Grateful to be together grateful to learn together, and grateful to grow together. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to the privacy of our own souls, Father. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.